Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever since he threw up in Beijing, <laughs> I don't know what he, he threw up. He exercised the demon. All right, everybody. Hi, and welcome to the Renee Stubbs Tennis Podcast. We are back in New York City, and I am joined by my trusty left hand, because you're on my left side today, uh, Andrea Pekovic. Hi, Pekko. How are you? I'm doing really well, and um, I'm, gonna set, I'm going to set you up for this joke that you will make. We are in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> literally. We, if we sound really great today, it's because we have a setup in literally the closet of your apartment <laughs> in Brooklyn uh, because your amazing boyfriend, Jesse, is also a musician. And so he records a lot of stuff in here, correct? Yeah, he does. Well, he has a studio a little further away from here, but for some smaller stuff that uh, doesn't involve drums, for example, he sometimes records here. And I actually recorded my audiobook for the last two days here. So if my voice sounds very sumptuous... Today, it'll probably sound like mine did, and that like would be. I like two months it. Ago. I wish I had my voice was always like this, but Raspy. unfortunately, oh. it will go back to the squeaky S- mess that I have. Smoke a couple of packs of cigarettes, yeah. and you might just sound like that any day you want. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point is that I am back in the closet. Um, <laughs> is what Petco would like to let everybody know. I'm back in the closet, uh, but I will be exiting that closet in about 45 minutes. <laughs> you, of course, have never really been in the closet, so there you go. I, I didn't have to be, so we are here, and I'm excited. I really got used to, first of all, living with you. I thought we had a really good <laughs> vibe. And second of all, I really enjoyed that daily thing we did with the podcast at the Australian Open. It's called it a gave podcast. Se- it's a called a podcast. But not only that we got great feedback, and thank you for everyone who listened, but also what I really liked is... It gave me clarity of mind as well, just talking through the day. The next day when I arrived at the at the site and um, when I went into the commentary booth, I felt like I was clearer in what I saw just because we see tennis so differently and still, it, but it's like... Um, so how meaning can I... you and I see each other things differently. We see different things, but both are correct, you know, so, or differently put. You see things that I don't see and then when you point them out to me, it feels like my view of tennis becomes more complete. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Oh, Because that's the blind spot that I have that you see. And um, and so I really enjoyed it. I thought it made me better as an analyst when I was calling matches, actually. Yeah, I think we, we talked about that the other night. We went to dinner and we were sitting there and you, you listened to a couple of the podcasts and that's one of the things that you said is that there were things that I said that you were like, oh, and then there were things that you said that I was like, oh. And I think that's the good thing about 
um, you know, us doing the podcast as opposed to people that really haven't played on tour or played professionally is that we see it with a 3D dimensional, you know, we see what players go through. We we can empathize with them. We can sympathize. We can understand. But we also are really admir. We admire what yeah. we're seeing now as well, as well as being tough on them at times. But also mostly, I think we just look at it with different eyes, two expert eyes, but two different eyes. And you yeah. played very differently to me. Yeah, that's and that, I think that's good. Yeah. Because, uh, like, I uh, I remember when I was going on and on about Chin Wen's return position and returning, and you were like, oh. It's like glazing over? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, but you were like, oh, yeah, I never, because you didn't think about return so much. But yeah. when somebody misses the uh, point oh, no. to move pa- to the net. Uh, pa- and- I need to pause you on that. Yes. I thought about my return all the time, uh- <laughs> about how can I make it a little bit more. <laughs> so there you, there you go. But I think the thing that you're saying is, like, I uh, you were so good at returning of serve and it came so naturally to you. Whereas for me, for example, transitioning into the net, it was just like, what do you mean you don't know how to do that? Yeah, like, exactly. It's exactly. like there's things that came naturally to us we yes. could talk to each other about. But anyway. So let's get into it. Yeah. I actually made a little bit of a list that I was interested. In, and uh, it's funny. And I think the first um, theme that I wanted to talk to you about is – I think is going to set the tone. I think I want to talk a bit more about general things because a lot of people and players too feel a bit of a letdown after a Grand Slam tournament ends. It's and the fans. The f- exactly, exactly. I mean, like I, I do. I do too. Even I do too. We've got and I'm going on. Yeah, I was a tennis player. Now I'm an audience member, and it feels like, you know, it feels like a. Um, uh, it feels like a nicotine patch when you want just want a real <laughs> cigarette, you know, when there is a 250 going on anyways. Anyways, but um, <laughs> let's talk about the letdown after a slam. And let's talk about it in terms of how the players feel. I have never won major tournaments, but you have. And I read, this is a, something really interesting to me. And I read uh, a lot of things on that. And Michael Phelps, when he broke all the records at the Olympic Games, he talked very openly about feeling depressed afterwards, um, losing motivation. Same with Naomi Osaka. When she came forth with her mental health struggles, she said after she won the US Open for the first time, it was really hard for her and she actually had depressive bouts. And um, and we have two very different examples after the Australian Open. Zabalenka won the Australian Open. She was the player of the tournament. Now she's lost to Donna Vekic quite early, surprisingly maybe. And then Yannick Sinau just seems to not be able to lose anymore. Can you talk a little bit on how you felt after you reached such a holy grail in tennis? Did you feel happy? Did you feel like, oh, my God, what else comes afterwards? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, uh, you know, clearly, look, winning doubles is a little bit different because you do have someone there to help you through some right. of those moments that can motivate you to be better or whatever it is. But um after my first victory at a Grand Slam, uh, actually won the doubles and mixed doubles at the Australian Open, I went straight to another tournament and played oh, Tokyo. Interesting. And uh, I think Lisa and I, I'm trying to remember, but I think we may have lost in the semis. Uh, we definitely went to Tokyo. So I, I don't know if we won the tournament after that, but it, it didn't really, it wasn't really a letdown for us because we had been quite good leading into the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. We were like the number one team in the world for a year. And it was more about can we finally win one? And when we did, we actually, it motivated me to want to win a lot more. Ah, Do you know what I mean? So it was very different. It put pressure on us as a team to now we're like, 
the hunted again. Mm. Um, and so for us, it gave us motivation to be better. We actually had a better year the following year. Mm. We won a couple more Grand Slams. We won the WTA finals. We won like eight tournaments. We won like 17 tournaments in two years through that span and then 2022. So for us, it was more along the lines of, no, we wanted more. Like mm. if we lost in a semifinal, it was a friggin' disaster. Kind of similar to what I think Serena would feel, you know, when she yeah. started winning Grand Slams and then losing in quarters. It was just like, what? Um, and don't worry, everyone. Don't. I'm not comparing myself to Serena. <laughs> but, but like when you want to be really great, Serena, Steffi, you know, Novak, Rafa, Roger, when you talk about the greats the last couple of years, they want more. Mm. They're never satisfied. Mm. And, you know, one of the stories that I always tell about Steffi is that Steffi told me in retirement she wished she had the only thing she regrets about her career is not enjoying the wins more. Ah, interesting. And I said, yeah, but you know that you probably wouldn't have been as great as you were. Mm. I mean, she won 22 Grand Slams by the age of 29. So I'm like, I think that if... If you are happy, and this is the issue now, if you are happy with it and you get complacent and then you don't have the desire to want to put yourself on the line anymore because it is so stressful to win a Grand Slam, um, you've got to want to have the desire to go through that pain and not be satisfied Mm. and not be content, I think is the word. If you're content with winning one, you probably won't win two. But if you win one, and all you can think about is ruminating over the next Grand Slam. Chances are you probably will win. Yeah, and and um, so I think Sabalenka is fine. I think she's probably focused on Wimbledon and the U.S. Yeah. Open. Um, and but it was interesting that she lost so early. Look, Donna Vekic is a great player. Yes, we know. she is. Donna she can is play absolutely. great. And I'm sure I don't know how much practicing Sabalenka would have been doing yeah. after the Australian Open. So who knows? But yeah, it's definitely very different to what Yannick Sinner was able to do immediately after winning the Australian Open. Well, and that's uh, that's what I wanted to, to get at. First of all, what you said um, reminded me of another thing you said before where you s- mentioned that when you see a player celebrating yeah. a quarterfinals win, for example, excessively, and you see them falling to the ground and running to the, to the team, you're like, in your mind, you check them off the list yeah. for winning possibly winning the yep. Grand Slam, you're like, oh, you're done for, right? Certainly more difficult. More difficult, yes. It just reminded me of it. But yeah, so it seems with Yannick, so similar like maybe to what you said about you and Lisa before you won the Australian Open, Yannick has been the player of the ATP Tour for a few months now. Yep. I think really since the ATP Finals. For before sure. that too, yep. ever since he threw up in Beijing. <laughs> I don't know what he, he threw up. He exercised the demon. I, exactly. I don't know what he threw up, but he threw up something. Um, but it, it's not, it wasn't, surpri- yes, it was surprising, but it wasn't surprising. But now it just seems like he can't lose anymore. Has he unlocked a new level of Yannick Sinner? There's absolutely no question in my mind. I think it, that he lost uh, that doubt um, and that, you know, he used to get – remember when he was playing, he kind of got a little bit injured at the US Open. He was complaining about an injury, but yet he played two more, three, almost three more sets against Zverev. Mm. He lost the match, but it's kind of a little – he would always like have a little bit of a niggle here and a oh, niggle right. there. And it was almost like, is that his like defect when things aren't going well? Is that he maybe has a little bit of a, mm-hmm. oh, my leg kind of thing? I don't know. I mean, that's – we don't see that from him ever anymore, yeah, hardly. Um, and I think that he's gotten to the point now he he knows, and this is the difference, he now knows he can win a Grand Slam. Mm. He now knows he can beat anybody in the world 
every time he walks onto the court. Mm. And when you have, and that's the one thing that, like, for example, Lisa and I, like, when we were at our very best, we didn't think there was a team that were better than us. Mm-hmm. And that didn't say we lost matches, but there was never a time I walked on the court going, hmm, oh, I don't, I don't know, know yes. today. Mm-hmm. I, we walked on the court going, we're supposed to win this match every time. Oh, that's time. a great feeling, I'm sure. It, I never had that. <laughs> it's, it is a great feeling, but it's also, that's where Stressful. the pressure becomes, yes. right? That's where the pressure comes because you're thinking I shouldn't lose. You, so you're basically thinking, technically, I shouldn't lose any match at all yeah. anymore yeah. in the future. <laughs> no, that's right. And and when you start to, that's when you start to doubt, or do I have it anymore kind mm. of thing. But um, but I think when you get on a roll like that, and he's on a roll now, there's never a time he walks on the court. And and I've, I talk about this, I've talked about it on the podcast, I've talked about it in other discussions. It's your conscious and subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. Like we've had this conversation, yeah. you and I. Um, the conscious mind is... Yeah, I can win this match. Yeah, I can win this tournament. Yeah, I'm good enough to win a Grand Slam. And there are several players that are out there that I could probably point to that I won't just because I don't want to throw them under the bus. But I would say they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'm good enough to win this tournament. But subconsciously, the little man and the little girl, you know, the little boy and the little girl that's in the back of their mind or the front, depending on where you want to put him, Mm. is going, no, you can't. No, you can't. You're really not good enough yet. And you're just like fighting that. When mm. you're fighting those things in your own brain, you're not going to win. Mm. But it's when the conscious and subconscious mind are all saying, yeah, you're good enough. And I've had that experience where my subconscious and conscious mind were like, yeah, you're, you're going to win this match or you should win this match. It's not a guarantee you're going to win it. But when I had the subconscious and conscious minds that were not aligned in big matches is the ones that I lost my first Grand Slam final mm. and my last Grand Slam final. Yeah. My subconscious and conscious minds didn't believe that I could win. Oh, interesting. Like the subconscious was like, oh, you're playing the Williams sisters, last Wimbledon, oh, my God. Like, you know, and 10 years prior in a Grand Slam final, I would have said there's absolutely no way I'm losing this match. Now, right. that's not a guarantee that I was going to win it, yeah. but my conscious and subconscious minds were together. They were aligned, yeah. And it um, it makes me think of, because a few people, a few German journalists asked me, like, what do you think is still lacking for Alexander Zverev to win, right? And, um, and I said a similar thing that you said now. I said, well, first of all, he has the diabetes. That's a challenge. Absolutely. That's a physical challenge for a man that has to play a best of... Uh, a best of five match that's definitely there but and uh, it's interesting because I feel like to win a Grand Slam there is a little mental obstacle that you have to overcome and it feels once you overcome that you can win any slam uh, any you know after that you go to a slam and you're like I can win this yeah of course and he hasn't overcome that yet and we saw that the two best the two Matches where he was up two sets to love. It's crazy. Where the US Open final and the semifinals at the Australian Open against Daniel Medvedev. So clearly he hasn't quite overcome that mental obstacle yet. No, and uh, until he does it, he won't. The hardest thing to do is something you've never done before. Mm. And so that will be an issue for him going forward for forever. And obviously him going over his ankle against Rafa, like maybe... Mm. Maybe karma isn't on his side. I don't know. Anyway, I know you're going to stay away from that one. Well, let's <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on to the next. We don't want. But I want to just before you yes. before you do go on. Yes. I know that I've had a conversation with Darren Cahill about this, and one of the first things that Darren said was that their main focus with Yannick now was to absolutely make him focused on the next couple of tournaments that he was playing. Oh, interesting. That to get him back, and I'm sure he probably went back to Italy and 
probably went skiing for four or five days and had a great time and relaxed and then bang, straight back into work ethic. And I think that is the one great thing about having a coach on your team that has been through this and can, can guide you through these things to sit you down and be like, look, what you just did was absolutely incredible. But your goal is number one in the world mm. and the next Grand Slam mm-hmm. and the next Grand Slam. And to do that, you have to set your your not your boundaries, but you have to set your your goals have to be every time you walk on the court, you're giving 100 percent because that will translate into Grand Slam victories. Mm. Novak didn't turn up to a tournament or Rafa or Roger or Serena, turn up to a regular tournament, be like, ah, I don't really care about this. I mean, maybe later in their career yeah. when they were like, later, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? I've won 20 Grand Slams. Like, do I really need to hustle my ass in Cincinnati every time? <laughs> but they every week knew they weren't supposed to lose. Right. So they went in there going, I'm going yeah. to win this tournament. Well, and uh, talking about Yannick Sinner, because I was in Europe the last few weeks, so I uh, I saw a few things, and there was a big controversy in Italy about him not going to Sanremo. There is a huge music festival in Italy, in Sanremo, and it's very well regarded, in, not only in Italy, in all of Europe, and all every musical act that goes there and, and gets invited to perform there becomes a huge star, blows up overnight, basically. And it's a big honor to be invited to the Sanremo Festival, as anybody, not only as a musical act. And Yannick actually didn't take the invitation. He refused to come because he had to train and go to Rotterdam. There you go. And uh, and it was a controversy because everyone was like, oh, he's not, you know, honoring the, uh, you know, he's not honoring the invitation. And Sanremo is such a big thing. And I, I would have gone. I want to be in Sanremo. <laughs> so that's the, maybe that's why I haven't won majors. But I, at the same time, I really respected it. And then seeing him win Rotterdam was like, yeah, you did the right thing. You yeah, did the course. right thing. Yeah, of course. And I mean, that's the one thing that I would have to say against. Matteo Berrettini, for example, you know, and look, listen, we call spades spades on this podcast, okay? <laughs> and I love Matteo. He's a great guy. He's very good looking. All the stuff that we all love about him. And he's an amazing tennis player. And yes, he's had terrible injuries over the last couple of years. But when he was at his peak, when he was doing really well, he was going to the Met Gala. He was going to this. He was doing photo shoots. He, You know, it's like, and I'm fine with that because Yannick's got his Gucci stuff and clearly Matteo has the boss stuff. But that's where you have to maybe fault him a little bit. Um, mm. I know a lot of people have given Emma Raducanu shit for that. You know, it's like, yeah, that's where it's important to have people around you that are advising you to say what is your priority. And that's such a good point. And I'm sorry I'm yelling, but that's such a good point. Okay. Because these kids, these are kids, kids. that we are talking about. Yeah. These are 18, 19, 20-year-olds, 20 21-year-olds. I was 21. You were 21. I was not an adult when I was 21. No, was my frontal idiot. cortex of my brain was not fully developed. You can't expect those guys to make the sound decisions every time. And that's where it's important. And this is a great segue, maybe the greatest segue that has ever been made on a podcast. That's why you need the best people around you. And that's why I want to talk about coaching changes. Yes. Coaching changes, and the reason for that is obviously Holger Rune going back to Patrick Moratoglu, and I cannot wait for your thoughts on that. But also Maria Sakari announcing her split with Tom Hill, who she multiple times has said she wants to end her career with him, with him by her side. She wants him to be the coach for the rest of her career. So uh, let's just hear your general thoughts yeah. on... We're going to hear <laughs> you both of our... Yes. You, you, I'm going to hear from you too. Don't think that you're just getting away with this. No, I, so. I, I will give my... I my mean, look. listen, I don't know. I guess, you know, look, results are results, right? So we'll see how the results go when it comes to Runa. 
I, you know, as a joke, put out on Twitter that I was available. And then, of course, some ding dong social media department decided to put me up. Revealed Renee Stubbs coaching Holger Rune with a tiny little question mark. It's like, and then I got 20 people texting me. Is this true? Is this true? Are you coaching? I'm like, no, I'm not coaching him. But if I were, I think that would be a good choice. But yeah. anyway, the whole point is he's gone back to Patrick Moratoglu. It's like he feels comfortable with him. I don't know. It's a surprise to me. We literally were having dinner about and talking about this the other night, and we didn't think that that was going to happen, I think, for various reasons. I don't know why he's going back. But as I said, results will show. We'll see what happens. Results will show. The one thing I have to say about this, Boris Becker was right there, Holger. He's right there. I'm not saying Kapatschek is a bad coach. I mean, he might even be the perfect coach for Holger Rune, but come on. It's Boris Becker, man. Yeah, it's Boris it's Becker. It's Boris man. Becker. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like a guy that's been there, has done that, who's been a young phenom, who's produced incredible results, who helped. And Novak said that he was a huge help for him yeah. through those period of time when he won a lot. Uh, I don't know. As I said, we'll see. Results will tell the story. I'm not a fan of this, the, 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 the selection. I just think that he could find somebody that could be a better fit for him but uh, we'll see we will see we'll, what do you think uh, I don't know I mean obviously there is something to uh, to Patrick that resonates with Holger right sometimes we're not in these relationships but does it I mean it didn't before well that's the that's the thing right he I think he is a very impulsive and emotional guy Holger Rune is and I think he acts on his whims and that's what that circles back to the things we talked about before that you need people in your corner and that's the complicated uh, part of a tennis player's relationship with their coach this is the only sport where the tennis player pays the coach to be an authority on you. Yeah. That's not going to work. No. If you need somebody to tell you the truth and that guy is reliant on your salary, he's not going to tell it to you unless it's somebody like Darren Cahill who doesn't need the job because he knows he can get a job tomorrow. He's with ESPN. Yeah. He's well off. He's fine. He has a reputation that cannot be stained anymore. He's one of the best coaches we have in the world. He doesn't need to hold back the truth. But there are ma many coaches out there that are great coaches, but that are, that are at the beginning of their career and that can't afford to just tell a player, I think you're messing up. I, th I don't think you should go to San Remo. I don't think you should do that. Yeah. But they can't afford to do that because their salary is dependent on them and they have a family to feed. They have a house to pay off. And that is a terrible system, really, for those players. And if you are, an and I'm not faulting Holger again, it comes back to what we talked about. He's a young guy. He's a kid. I don't fault him. But it's about the system is not great for players and especially players who are impulsive, who act on their whims. You're bound to, to make some decisions that you might end up regretting. And I don't know if this is one of them. I hope certainly not, because I think Holger is a very exciting player and I hope it goes well for him. But um, but yeah, I think this system is really, really fraught in tennis. Yeah, I mean, I can say, look, I've had you know a couple of coaching stints and I can say that one of the things that I say, and I have said this to a player that I worked with, is that I don't need this job. Mm. And listen, it's not to say that I don't, I won't take the money. It's not to say that I don't like the money if they do well and I get a nice bonus check and all that sort of stuff, but I don't need it to live, right? I have my ESPN gigs. I've got a lot of other stuff going on. I had my own career. And I said to a player one time, I don't need this job. So if you want to hear the truth, you're going to hear it from me. And this person literally turned around to me and said, well, I'm not used to someone like being not tough on me, but I'm not used to someone t telling straight. me these things straight, and being yeah. like this. And I said, well, 
I don't need this job. So if you want me to help you, this is what I'm going to say. And I also say I don't th- take things personally until you make it personal, mm-hmm. right? So if someone snaps at me on the tennis court because I've told them something and they're like, you know, I don't want to hear that right now, or, you know, step back or whatever it is. I mean, mm-hmm. Serena told Shut me that up. one time. Or, you know, I don't want to talk to you right now. It's like, yeah. okay. But if they say, you know, shut up, you you dyke, right? right. And they make it personal right, to me. Right, right, right. And I'm right. like, I understand. okay, that is, I'm out. Yeah. See you later. Mm-hmm. But if they're losing their shit to me, it's a different thing because mm-hmm. I was the worst person to coach probably ever. <laughs> so I understand that f- feeling out there. But the most important thing is that you are absolutely telling your player what they need to hear at that time to make them better. Mm-hmm. And if it's a tough conversation, then it's and so be it. But there are so many players that have coaches that are absolutely reliant on them. And I have to say, I mean, that's just one of the things about Tom that I think was Sakari is that she did have him for a long time. Mm. I'm sure he tried to influence her in certain ways, but at some point she wasn't listening and she wasn't doing the things that he was requesting or asking. And you just wonder how, he, how tough he was because they were such good friends as well. Mm. You know, he needed a more authoritative figure to come in and be like, no, you need to do X. And I think his lack of experience in big moments and just, you know, he was never a great player. He was a college player. Um, And that's no slight on him. There's been plenty of players, you know, that weren't great players that became phenomenal coaches. Mm. But he lacked that experience in the big matches. And I do think that she needed someone who had been there or done it, whether it be with another player or as a player. And I think that that's probably where it's hurt her a little bit to not have a more authoritative figure over top of her to not let her carry on like a pork chop on the court, which she does <laughs> half the time. Well, and I wonder, can you maybe let us in a, a bit on the thought process that goes on? Because as I mentioned before, Maria's said, uh, Maria said many times before that she wanted to end her career with Tom Hill by her side. She clearly didn't. What do you think, how much has the pressure risen on her and how much has the lack of results maybe just become a thing, a cloud in her head where she or somebody else in her team was like, you need a change or maybe she thought I need a change. What do you think? How does that function in a tennis player's mind? I mean, you know, as well as I do, like you just get to a point where like, you know, it's stale and you know, you're not listening to them anymore. Mm. And, and then the things that they're telling you are not working. Mm. I mean, you tell me you've had coaching changes. You know what it feels like to get to a point where you just feel like, okay, you need a new voice. And then you get the new voice and you're like, oh, it's great. And they could be telling the same thing, just in a different way. Well, I have I have this experience with because my dad is my coach. He's a tennis coach and um, he was my coach for a long time. So I have this experience firsthand that especially when you're young, when you're a teenager until I was maybe 24, I want to say my dad. I always thank God. He always said, I think you need a travel coach. I don't think I can travel with you because it will jeopardize our relationship as a father and a daughter. And I'm really glad that he had the, um, the clarity of mind to make this decision for us as a family. But um, but he would say many things that were exactly the same that my traveling coaches would tell me. And I'd be like, ah, dad, you know, like, stop it. Yeah. Why are you telling? Because he's my dad. You know, yeah. I don't want yeah. my dad to tell me, like, maybe turn your record on your forehand that way. And then my coach would come and say the same thing. I would be like, oh, my God, you're a genius. Yeah, you're Thank so you so smart. much. Yeah. No, but <laughs> and it is my true. dad probably was in the background like, oh, my God, fuck you, Andrea. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's the case. I mean, for me, it was I had some coaches that would tell me stuff and then I had, a, you know, other people telling me stuff and it resonated differently. Mm. So I do think that at some point when things do get stale and she won Guadalajara, but 
let's face it, it wasn't the strongest 1,000. Mm. But she beat who she had to beat to win the tournament. So I think that gave him a little bit of life. But I think long before that, she should have had a change. Mm. And that's nothing against Tom. I just think at some point she needed to have fresh eyes and a fresh attitude with her. Yeah. So we'll see. I I kind of sort of know who she's uh, going to be working with. I don't want to say it here because I don't think it's public yet, but it'll be interesting to see how she responds and how she can change things. She lost early again in Dubai. Things are not looking good um, for her, so it's going to be a big necessity to turn around. I mean, and if you watch Breakpoint, I mean, every week she's like, I'm quitting. So mm. she's got to get away from that mentality. That's yeah. for damn sure and start finding the joy, much like Ons Jabeur. But Ons, you know, this knee is an ongoing issue. But I also think that Ons is just fucking miserable on the court. And mm. Marie is the same. So, you know, I, I said this to Sam when I started working with her when she had, you know, her ranking was really, really quite low and she was struggling. I said, Sam, you've got to find the joy in what you're doing on the tennis court. And if you don't find the joy, don't be here, mm. you know. And so if you're not finding joy in the work and the matches and the stress and the travel, don't do it. Mm. And if you can find that joy, you will have the results that you want because you will find the you'll find the joy back in what you're doing, which is it's friggin' hard to be a tennis player. It it is hard, and I'm sorry I don't have as brilliant a segue to the next subject as I had Shame. before that. Shame. Um, yes. Shame. 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 From relationship with coaches to relationship between tennis players and chair umpires. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you believe that? Did you see it? In, have you seen the replay of what happened with Coco? I actually, um, I was watching the match. We um, So I missed kind of the entire conversation because we, I, oh, watched I, it without it. A, I watched it without a tone. And then when I saw it, because it kept going on and on and on, I turned on the tone and so the sound. And then I caught the... The part. Why? Just explain to me why did Pierre not call the supervisor? He's a dickhead. I know he doesn't have to. So just for those no, maybe who don't know. No, in actual fact, if you ask for the tour supervisor, he has to call the tour supervisor. I'm fairly certain okay. that what Coco mistake Coco made was continuing to talk. Right. She should have walked down. Now, I, I've already tweeted about this. What he was saying, if it's a rule. Like, if it's a rule interpretation, you can um, ask for the chair, the supervisor. Mm -hmm. If it's a judgment call, judgment call mm -hmm. on the court, like if it was a double bounce or if it was what he said, I, I called the ball out when she hit it, I put her off kind of thing, that's his call. So in actual fact, the supervisor would have come out. This is what would have happened. The supervisor would have come out. She would have said, what's the problem? And she would have said, he said out after she hit the ball in the net and then she would look at the umpire and said what's the is that the what, what happened and he would say no i thought that i called when she hit the ball so that's why i'm playing a let and then the supervisor would looked at coco and said sorry coco i can't do anything about this that's his judgment call okay exactly. so he was correct in what he was saying yes. where he was incorrect is not sending the supervisor out just to appease her because yeah, she was doing that just to make a point because yes. Coco knew she was never going to win that point. Coco knew that what had happened was too late and the judgment call was the umpires. She was trying to make a point and I don't blame her but the mistake she made was going on. She should have sat down and she said, I'm not playing until you call the supervisor yeah. and then he would have to call the supervisor right? Because right? just to appease her. But what he did in his the, his tone and the way he spoke he should have known better that he said, for a fact, out 
after the ball was basically in the net. That was the worst fucking call I've seen in a long time. But don't you think that's why he did it? Because he knew that he was wrong. And if he now called the supervisor, I think in the end it did go viral. But maybe he hoped because if he calls the supervisor, everyone will see it. Do you think he knew that he was wrong? And so two I don't things, know, but I, I mean, think... it, it, listen, if the serve was out, which it wasn't, but if the serve was out and Kaya, Kaya had hit the ball into the net, she would have said, challenge. Yeah. Why are you fucking overruling that call? And everyone's like, oh, it's the best line for him to overrule. No, it's not. It's actually a very difficult line to overrule because you're like, well, it's the closest line to the umpire. Well, actually, it's really hard to see the space sometimes with the ball between the ball and the line when the ball's in front of you, in front of the line. Well, and the angle is really That's weird right. from there. Yeah. I just don't understand why he decided to overrule in the first place. Like, mm. shut the fuck up. If it's out, Carolina's going to be like, dude, challenge mm. was a fault. And clearly it wasn't. So he could have just let her walk to the other side, which Carolina was basically doing. And then he's like out. And then he's like, no, I called. I mean, he it was just horrible. Mm. It's horrible. Mm. And not calling the supervisor out was that's on him. And you know what? It, it really changed things because she played really well after that. <laughs> so I think it gave her incentive. If Carolina had been smart, she probably would have walked to the other side of the court knowing that she she knew that that call didn't interrupt her. Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, it's interesting because uh, Coco's dad posted on Instagram today. I don't know if yeah, you saw, saw it. it. And I he saw was it. like, "I'm so proud of her." How she and she did handle it really well. But I think the where he was correct was that the situation couldn't have been changed. He couldn't have altered his decision, yeah. and that's a really weird thing because yeah. because we have the. Um, we have all these replays now and still these things are this strangely in set in stone traditions of yeah. tennis yeah. that cannot be changed. And one of them is if the ump if, if the chair umpire makes a call, it's set in stone for the next two hundred fifty years. Plus. Yes. What, why I mean, do we why? do that? Well, I, it'll be interesting to see if that happened at the US Open because, you know, now we have that system where yes. you can actually look at double bounces. You can, that would be, an, a, I, if it was me, we should include that. We should include an umpire fucking up royally yeah. and being like, oh, actually, no, just like VAR. Oh, no, actually, in a penalty shootout, the ball did go over the line. Mm. Or you came out early yeah. as, the, as the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, we need to get it right. And, you know, and everyone and every... Tom, Dick, and Harry that was like, you're so mean, like getting rid of the lines, people. This is what they do, and they love tennis. I'm like, then go and watch tennis. Like, I'm sorry, this is someone's livelihood. And quite frankly, if 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 uh, Coco had lost that point after and then subsequently lost that game, Carolina mm. would have served for the match yeah. at 5-4 in the second set. So it was an absolutely massively pivotal moment of the match. It's just that Coco won the point and won the game and then ended up breaking, actually, to win the set 6-4. But fr frankly, like, that was bullshit, what happened. And that umpire, I hope he gets big time scolded for that. And if I'm, if I, if I'm Coco, I'm refusing to have him in my chair anymore. Mm. Because once you lose trust and faith in somebody like that, and she did handle it well, she even shook his hand, which I can guarantee you I wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have been so pissed at that guy. You would go you would go up to him and be like, I meant offense by not shaking your hand. Yes, I would have gone to shake a hand. I said, you know what? Now that past review, I'm not shaking your hand. And I do mean offense. And by the way, go and look at the videotape, you wanker. I hope he apologized to her after the match. Because he said he was going to. Oh. Uh, yes, I will. Of course, of course, of course, he said. Oh, okay. Know, whatever. Well, anyway. uh, Coco lost to a player that I have to um, give us to complimenty. 
Um, we said Anna Kalinskaya yeah. is going to be very dangerous. This- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Season, yes. And she has gone on to prove our point. She is very dangerous this season and she played a great match and beat Coco Goff. Yeah. She's a good player. She and, is. you know, speaking of coaches that she's had yeah. for a long time is uh, Patricia Tarabini, who was a former player on the WTA Tour, one of my peers, a little bit older than me, <laughs> um, but um, really good coach, somebody that's been with her for years and years and years mm. and years. And they trained down in Miami and she's put – I know how much Pato has put into making this player the player she is today. And I'm so happy for that relationship mm. because – Kellen Skye could have pulled the plug and gone with somebody else and because she wasn't having the results that she might have hoped to have had. But also, Kellen Skye will be the first one to say that she was a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> um, a little bit pissy, pants, a little negative, like the whole thing. But now, now that she's starting to actually see the benefits of behaving, working hard, putting all the efforts in, we're seeing it. And she's a really good tennis player. Mm. Um, and this was, you know, a little bit of a surprise in some ways, but not in others. I mean, I think Coco's really struggled a little bit. You know, she's either been really good winning in Auckland, going into the Australian Open, um, but she hasn't looked great since winning the Mm. US Open. Um, And, you know, something, and I don't want to rag on Brad Gilbert because I'm going to never hear the end of it um, (laughs) because I work with him at ESPN, but, you know, him saying to Chris McKendry at the Australian Open when she said, well, are you concerned about the, the, the forehand and he said no and he said well are you working on it and he put his hand up and he said zero zip zip nada I'm not going to mm. change it I'm not going to work on it and I was like eh, I well, don't know I, about that you know my thoughts on that I think that Perry Reba did a tremendous amount of work on that forehand and I think that a lot of the improvement we saw was not only from Pereriba, but a lot of it was from Pereriba because I saw him work with Chin Wen on, on it before he came back to Chin Wen, before he went to Coco. Mm-hmm. And he does the Spanish thing where they work on the quick wrist, the quick wrist acceleration right before you hit the point, uh, right before you hit the ball, right before you kind of the strings touch the tennis ball. When you accelerate right there, that's when you get that extra rotation that helped Coco and not missing. That was what made her so strong. We talked about it a million times. Backhand great, movement great, serve good most of the time. Second serve not good. Yeah, but most of the times very good serve. She was hitting 200 Ks an hour, I think 100, what is that, 120 miles an hour serves uh, in Australia. But forehand, sometimes not that good. She didn't miss it. 
in the U.S. series, she did not miss it. And then as the opponent, you don't know where to go anymore. And it's just a nightmare to play. And she's reversed. And we saw that again in the match against Marta Kostiuk, who was very disciplined for most of the match, except for in the important moments. Um, in just going there over and over and over again, who has the physicality to just run the balls down, even if Coco puts it back 15 times. And eventually Coco would miss the forehand. And I I agree with you. Or you would get such a short ball that you could crush it anyway. Yeah. And and I agree with you that, um, well, let's see. Let's see uh, whether it's maybe we talked about it in the beginning of the podcast. It's just a letdown after winning a, a Grand Slam tournament. And maybe she just needs to readjust with that new type of expectation or, or whether it is um, something in the game, really. Uh, yeah, and, 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 you know, getting her back into the U.S., obviously, with Indian Wells and Miami, she'll have tremendous support. So that really does help. And she does play great with support mm-hmm. and with the crowd really behind her. And the Middle East is just like very just stale. stale yeah. Just nobody really watches until maybe the final because, you know, who's going to go and watch tennis in the Middle East? I mean, it's like you've got people that are either billionaires or people that are working. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's no in between there. Yeah. So, so, or you know, millionaires who don't want to watch tennis, but yeah. but uh, it's not the best place to promote women's tennis. But anyway. Well, let's move on to the last like general. We're gonna t- touch on a few results in in the end. But I like uh, when you take control of the producing of this. I, yeah, I mean, somebody has to write. It's just the two of us. Oh, but Jesus. <laughs> I had plenty of things written down. You just, I know, I, I believe you. Just you just did your German thing. I, like I am. It. I, that's you have exactly. it on a pad of paper. This is impressive. I do. I mean, honestly, this is really. It's, a it's become. It's a problem. It's yeah. become Let's a problem. Be like just like I'm writing down things when I um, when I don't have anything to do, just to write something down. So, but let's move on. Another thing we talked about actually in the last podcast we recorded together. You did the men's final with Caitlin. Um, hi, Caitlin. Hey. Um, was Rebecca and Rebecca's scheduling. And I wanted to touch back yeah. on that because she kind of did it again, not in the same manner as she did before the Australian Open, but she went on to play every single tournament that was possible in the <laughs> Middle East. And she played great. She won in Abu Dhabi. She made the finals in Doha. And then she had to pull out in the biggest of the three tournaments, yeah. the Masters 1000, the one where you do get the biggest points, the biggest prize money. She had to pull out before the semifinal um, with a gastro and I can't pronounce that Gastroenteritis. Word. And I can tell you, this this person talking right now had gastro in Dubai. Uh-huh. So I don't know what she had, but I want to know because if it's the same as what I had, that's why. And I can tell you for two days, it was not a fun time. Yeah. I was over there with Carolina and I was just like, oh, oh my God, I got to go. It was terrible. So, listen, that's not an injury, but it is. No, that's just, a bad, that's bad luck. That's yeah. kind of bad luck. That's but kind of still, bad luck. But still, it's again this theme of playing so well in the tournaments that lead up to the important, ter- not that the others are not important. They no, were big tournaments. Big. They were 500s. Yeah, but um, especially Doha is a big tournament. A lot of top players play there. But... Again, you know the because then just, she, if she plays Abu Dhabi and then she goes Doha, Dubai, and then she has a week up and straight into India, well, so it's a lot of tennis. Mm. Whereas, yeah, you're right. I mean, if listen, we'll, we'll, I think more. We're gonna I keep think, an eye on her schedule. Exactly. I think that's what I want to say. I don't think this has been a nightmare schedule. I don't think it was a thing with uh, as it was at the US uh, at the Australian Open where I thought she won Brisbane. She was playing the best tennis of all the women that have started the season. And then went to Adelaide. Why the hell is she going to Adelaide? This is not this, right? This no, is not the no, same thing. No. This is just a thing that reminded me of her scheduling at the Australian Open where I made a note, a mental note. This is something to keep an eye on. And um, and 
uh, I just I'm I'm just afraid of the hurricane situation. I said it to you before. <laughs> hurricane scores uh, all amazing, the time. Yes, amazing footballer. I love him so much. Great guy. He scores so many goals, and he's at Bayern Munich now in in Germany. So that's why I know this well. But it, he did similar things in England. He's such a great um, scorer, and then it comes to an important game, and he just can't find the goal, can't and he's missing he gets, big chances. He and gets now a blink over. Well, <laughs> and now he's getting that reputation. He's not that young anymore. Now he's get he has gotten that reputation in England and and beyond that he can score in the big games. And that's not exactly true. Of course, he has scored in big games, but that's just the reputation you always talk about a locker room reputation. And that's the reputation he has now. And I I hope that doesn't happen for um for well between the rebuttal. injuries and you know going to Adelaide she certainly had a bit of an issue with her Achilles you mm. said that in in Melbourne and so yeah one thing I do want to bring out um, speaking of tall lanky players I want to give some props to Carolina Pliskova because mm-hmm. Pliskova you know has had a struggle over the last few years with injuries with talk about a lot of coaching changes holy cow <laughs> um, um but she's had a great couple of weeks she mm, won in Cluj yes. and then she did uh, well again in the Middle East. Um, she lost three sets to Coco, but um, she had well to pull out Dola, against yeah. Iga with, uh, the in- with the injury, I think, to her wrist. I- I'm not sure. Anyway, um, yeah, it's nice to see her back because mm-hmm. she had a lot of points to defend in the Middle East and she was almost going to be, if she didn't do well, outside of the top 100. Yeah, Can you imagine a player that good? Talk about pressure. <laughs> Talk about pressure. Anyway, she's uh, managed to keep her ranking up, which is good. So I want to just throw out a little... Well done to her. Well, and it has weeks. to be said, I think, because we are so hard on Rebakina, it is a lot harder for these tall, lanky players. They do get injured more yeah. because it's just they have to carry so much more weight on this really tall size. It's yeah. it's really not easy. So it's not only it's a similar. Uh, obviously not um, comparing size of a body with diabetes, but there are just uh, inherent challenges that you have with the way your body is built. The positives, a great serve, comes with some negatives that you do have injuries. And I think Carolina was actually quite lucky for... For a long time. Yes, for a very long time before But she's been up and down since. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, um, you know, great week for Iga Sviantek last week again. She came back out. Like, you said it, though... It's going to give fuel mm-hmm. to these players. When you see Sabalenka win, you're like, fucking hell, i got to get my shit together. And she played great. Well, and Rybakina winning Abu Dhabi, yeah. playing finals in exactly. Doha. Iga winning Doha. Yeah. And now again in the yeah. in the final of, of Dubai. That's exactly what I want. And that's why I want Rybakina to be there at the biggest tournaments. Because well, I will. think the one thing... Yes, and I'm sure she, she will. Because that's the one thing I want is I want Sabalenka, Rybakina, Coco, Iga, Iga and possibly once when she's back at finding the joy in her game. I want them to play well at the same time at the big tournament that we have a packed semifinals and you can't take your eyes off. A similar the vibe that we got from the Goff Sabalenka match in Australian yeah. Open, right? Yeah. Where everyone, the whole stadium was, you could feel the energy that was vibing off the girls because everyone yeah. knew this is the match of the tournament. Yeah. This yeah. is the one that decides yeah. who's going to win yeah, this. Yeah, it would be nice to see like a Iga Sabalenka or Iga Rabakina Sabalenka Coco semifinal yeah, at, the U- exactly. at the US Open or something. I mean, yes. the place will be going nuts. Yes. Don't think we're going to see that f- semifinals at the French because I'm not sure how comfortable Rubakina and Sabalenka are. Right. Maybe at the French. Sabalenka, uh, I take that back, probably should have been in the final couple, last year. Yeah. Um, so she can certainly uh, do it 
I don't know, Rabakina, how comfortable she is on clay. Her movement, she's not great on that surface. So I think people can take advantage of that. Mm. I mean, throw in a drop shot against her. I would drop shot her every point, <laughs> literally every point at yeah. the French Open. So if she plays on Jabeur, she will lose. Mm. So um, just because she can't slide very mm. well. So sliding is a very important thing to be able to do on clay. And if you don't slide well, you're going to be in all, all sorts of trouble. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, Iga, well done. That was great. Rabakina winning, as you said, in Abu Dhabi. So the top women are sort of putting their hand back up. They're going, we are all good. I think they got a wake-up call from Arena's form. They at did, the Australian and then Arena Open. shit the fun. bed and played. And dark. we oh. mentioned that Yannick Sinner winning in Rotterdam. That's a great, great showing, in my opinion, after, so yes, uh, just so after winning your first Grand Slam tournament, just going out there, going out there at all. And then winning is, I think, really nice. And he, didn't he defend his title too? Yeah. Didn't he win there last yeah. year? Yeah, and can like? we just talk about Alcaraz? I mean, talk yes. about injuries. Yeah. I mean, now he's done his ankle. They're all hoping he's going to be back for his Netflix thing in Vegas because there's a lot of money on the line. Um, but, you know, Jesus, man, he just, it's a worry. Mm. It's a real worry. And when you think about if you had to put money on a player doing better in their career over the next decade, between Sinner and Alcaraz, I'd put it on Sinner. Mm. I think he's physically better. I think he has more game. I actually think he's a better all-round player at the moment. The biggest issue with Alcaraz is his serve. It doesn't get him enough free points. Mm. Um, Yannick has a huge serve. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he plays a little bit too defensively um, on certain surfaces. I think he is attackable to the forehand on a fast court, Mm. running to his forehand. If you if you compare Sina and Alcaraz of their weaknesses, for me Yannick has less weaknesses. Right. The only thing that I will and less venture injuries. against. That's true. I, and I also see Yannick ahead right now. However, what I will put against, I think at the very best, both of them, Alcaraz has more weapons. He can play at the do net. Do you think that? Yes, I do. He has more. He has more variety in his game. That's variety how he plays. Variety for sure. Yes, he can play the high spin forehand. He can hit it hard. He can play drop shots. He can come to the net. He comes to the net. He plays serve and volley. That's all things Yannick is getting much better at. Yes, but it's not That's natural. It's not natural yet. So I do think that when they play at their best. It's the best rivalry. Oh, my God. Because it's such clean ball striking. And then Carlos bringing in the variety, which challenges Yannick to also do a little bit more and a little bit different. I love the matches between them. I mean, I remember the match in Miami and the U.S. Open. All of them. Was that a semifinal? I don't know. That was crazy. So I think that's a really good matchup. So I do think that uh, Yannick has less... uh, fewer weaknesses but I also think that at the best Carlos has more possibilities in his game I think that Sinner has more upside because I think that Yannick has it can get better at hitting the drop shot which he's doing he's implementing that forehand drop shot which is great he won a couple of really big points against um, Alex Dimonor who's arguably the best mover in in the tennis Um, he hit that a couple of times against him on some big points Mm. a couple of break points um, I think his net game is improving yes. exponentially. I think Darren's had a huge, um, you know, uh, influence in that in that department. So I think his moving forward, his drop shots, and his variety, his slice backhand, he that's a work in progress. Yeah. yeah. So you think about where's he attackable? Where mm-hmm. do you win the point against him? No, you don't. You can't. Well, you you see it now. You can't win there's a point no, against there's him. There's no nowhere to go. He's like. A very, he's like the same version of Novak Djokovic. Yes, that's exactly it. I mean, it, Novak improved his and serve. Novak, and Novak troubles Alcaraz. Yes. Even old Novak, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. 
is troubling Alcaraz because yeah. he's so solid. And that's yeah. why I think Yannick has been a bad matchup for Carlos before he found Yannick Sinner, the Australian Open champion. Yannick Sinternet. Yannick Sinternet, the Australian Open champion. I think... Um, and I do think that uh, Yannick, because of his solidity, is actually going to win more matches against Carlos than Carlos. But I do think, put next to each other, Carlos has more, yet as of now, has more variety in his game. And yeah. um, and the problem is when you have that much variety, and you can probably talk more on that than I can, but I have a lot of friends that ha- have that type of game. When your confidence get goes off, it really goes yeah, off because, because you're I always yes exactly so I always take myself as an example I'm the perfect example I had one a quite one dimensional game which made it hard to win against the best but it also made it very easy when I was not playing well I knew exactly what I had to get back on track to play well I needed to grind I needed to be fit and I needed to hit a lot of balls and I needed to open a few angles right that was the thing that I had to do now, when you have the drop shot and the net play and you can serve hit cur- kick serve and you can hit fast serve and you can hit the forehand, but you can also play spin and you ha- lose a little bit of confidence. You get so much confusion in your head. Yep. And we see it with aunts when she's not confident. All of a sudden, she's hitting the drop shots from five meters behind the baseline yep. from defensive positions yep. instead of from inside the court. And that's a problem with people who are very talented and have a lot of variety in their games that they get confused when they lose confidence. Whereas somebody like Yannick, yep. if he one day loses confidence, which doesn't seem to be the case right now, uh, he will know what to do to play well again. He needs to get his forehand and check yep. he needs to have a solid backhand and his serve needs to be on point and he will win most of the matches yeah I mean for me I, I had a lot of variety with mm. the way I played and so for me if I didn't have confidence I was like oh god should I serve and volley should I stay back should I should I go down or should I slice should I hit over my back oh, it was too many choices mm. and so when you have no confidence you're like oh shit what do I do now when I got on grass it was simplified for me. Yeah. And I was calm and I was like, I knew exactly what I needed to do every single time. Obviously, I need to get into the net as much as possible. I needed to serve and volley. I needed to vary this and that. But I was so calm and so it was so easy for me to play on grass mm-hmm. because I was finally all the 10 shots became three. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that when you have variety like Carlos does and he does have so much variety, it's almost like if he's not confident, he doesn't know when to go for it he doesn't know when to like hit Mm. the when he was playing great like last year when he won Wimbledon and that he was so simple with the way he was playing yeah and then he figured it out on grass so quickly and grass became fun for him Mm. and fun is great on grass yeah ons is great on grass because she can use her variety so grass is important for that but on a hard court or on a clay you got to grind yeah and you got to be disciplined Mm. and that's where someone like Yannick Sinner for for example he loves playing indoors because it just suits him so much but he's good on every court now because honestly I honestly don't see a weakness in his game no the only thing we will see is on clay because obviously he hits the ball flatter this is a quote unquote he still has a lot of but he grinds yes he grinds I mean he lost to Altmaier last year at the French Open that was strange but I think that was a very different Yannick Sinner well and also they were and looking back at it now I'm so glad he lost that match, not because he lost it, but that he, and this just shows me why he's so good. His mentality is so different than to so many out there that I see where he thinks long-term or he has good people telling him how to think long-term. They were um, 
teeing with his surf. T- you know, how do, I'm missing the word, but you know, they were T- trying tinkering, 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 tinkering with his surf. They were trying things out. He was doing the pinpoint decision and he was pulling his leg, then he wasn't. And that was exactly around that time when they were like kind yeah. of starting yeah. to figure it out, yeah. but hadn't quite. For sure. And so. Of course, and I know you lost they're also few... working on his forehand. Yes, so of course you're going to lose a few matches because yeah. you're trying new you're things. You're investing in, but exactly, you're investing in winning the Australian Open and, he did. and winning um, and beating, you know, Novak and winning Davis Cup and things like that. And so for me, at the moment, he's the best player in the world. And mm. when you know when Novak comes back, obviously he's going to be the guy to beat again because he's always the guy to beat, and he will always be the guy to beat until he does. He does. I mean, when he's 80, I feel like if he came back, <laughs> I don't know he would that. still beat most of the guys just because he's smart. I mean, Rafa, <laughs> we don't know what's happening there. Uh, you know, obviously, we're going to have two oh my God. bulls going into this next You have scene. to say one word on this. I mean, you don't have to. But Nick Kyrgios retweeting Andrew Tate. Oh, what was that about? me. Was it? Did it that surprise you? Ju- Actually, did I don't it even surprise wanna... me. I don't even know if it surprised me. It just that's disgusted what I wanted... me. Okay, but that's what I wanted to know because I think we don't have to talk about what it means, blah blah blah. Because I think we all know that this is He's... bullshit. But did it surprise you? Honestly, because I was sitting yes. there thinking, did it? Su- does it because, surprise listen, me? And you... at the same time, yes, and no, and this is weird. Yeah, Nick is that kind of guy. He's such an uh, such a enigma. You know, it's like because you, we spent, I spent a lot of time with him in Melbourne this year because he did a lot of work for ESPN yeah. as he did with Eurosport yeah. and things. So you you would have spent some time around him. He's very pleasant to be around. So pleasant. He's so pleasant to be around. Yes. He, to, he, you know, can really have a nice conversation yeah. with him. He becomes like a little bit of a boy, a yes. little kid. He know? does seem very young. Yes. yes. You know, when you, and not in like a, a dumb way. No, in, no. In, like in a, he's less like interested or, yeah. you know, wants to talk about stuff. And so you think, okay, he's not a bad guy. You know, Nick's a decent guy. And then he does stuff like that and you're like, what the hell, dude? This guy is up for like rape and 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 children and assault, trafficking, and trafficking yeah. children and all whatever. Whatever you think, if you think he's guilty or not guilty, you do not touch this guy. Mm. You do not go on the internet and and retweet or say anything to this bro at all, it's unless crazy. you want. To attention? provoke attention and provocation, know. and I don't know why he would need that. He had, in terms of broadcasting and just attention wise he had a great Australian Open mm-hmm. people loved his commentary mm-hmm. people loved that he brought something new a new yeah, kind of great. energy it was new it was it, it was younger and he had a great Australian Open so uh, did he just a, did a week or two go by and he felt I don't know left board? out I yes don't know. bored I mean, left out and he needed to it's crazy it's uh, sad it's, it's crazy. that was sad honestly. we also had the incident with um Taylor Fritz mm-hmm. um, liking a tweet about, you know, I mean, obviously slandering uh, LGBTQI plus people, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy had written something very derogative and, and, and he had liked it. Uh, he had liked the quote from the guy retweeting or liking the bad tweet. And so mm-hmm. he came back and said, and uh, listen, I, I know Taylor and I would be. I believe him when he says that he fucked up and he mm-hmm. liked the tweet, not looking at the tweet that was being retweeted above it. Um, 
So let's hope that that's true um, mm. because that wouldn't be make me very happy. But I do believe him. And, you know, just look, guys, like when you're retweeting and doing stuff on the Internet, you've got to be really careful. Mm. Um, and, you know, the Nick thing, that was just outrageous. But yeah. anyway. Anything else you want to say? I don't know. Do you have anything written down on your little pit of paper? Well, I just have the one thing. Kirstea coming back from yeah, six match points oh, and five one down against Vondrusheva. What's your biggest comeback? I think I might know this, but what's your biggest comeback? Oh my god, I don't remember. You what's the most the match points down? Oh, actually, I do know that. Um, so it was actually I won the tournament in the end. I won in Antwerp, and um, by the way, Kim Kleisters, she was the tournament director. Then I have a bone to pick with you. So in the first round, I came from Fed Cup, and I had played Gaidosova. Uh, then yeah. at that time, she was Groth. Um, I beat her 8-6 in the third, and then I came out the next day, and I played Sam, and I beat her 12-10 in the third. I remember. And then I played, I went to Antwerp, and I was thinking about pulling out, and they scheduled me on Monday night. So I played on Sunday, I traveled to Antwerp, and I had to play on Monday night. Kim. And I, no, I don't think that had anything to do with Kim. I played a Belgian. I played Alison van Oetvang, uh. and I came back from nine match points. No way. Nine match points. I think I was down six, four, five, two. <gasps> I came back from nine match points. I won the match and I ended up winning the tournament. And here's the bone I have to pick with her. They had a record that was... Gold. Diamonds. Because uh, Antwerp is the yeah, city yeah. of diamonds. So I had diamonds, like, Encrusted. I don't know, 150 diamonds put on this record. And if you won the tournament twice in a row you would get this trophy, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. only for me to hold, yeah. and then I had to give it back. But if I were to defend my title, I would get this record with the diamonds. And then the tournament wasn't there next year. Oh, that's great. I mean, they should <laughs> they have just discontinued the what? tournament. And what? I was like, where is my diamond record? Well, they should have given you a little one that you can put around your neck. You yeah. know the little diamonds <laughs> that you can hang on a neck thing? That's that's nice. I got zero diamonds. That's I awesome. got zero diamonds, but uh, I did save. That was the biggest comeback. Nine I saved match nine points, match that's points, impressive. Yes. Uh, what was your biggest comeback? Do you oh, have my, my biggest comeback. I did. No, I uh, have a great comeback of down six match points, which now oh. makes mine seem pathetic after nine. <laughs> no, six now match I'm like, I should have gone first. Yeah. So, um, I was six match points indoors in Quebec. Oh, my God. Against Lisa Raymond. No, yes. that is crazy. In singles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I won seven, six in the third. She had six match points. Were there any of those? like On her serve? I don't think so. But were they like continuing? So was it like a 40-15 or was it always so. a single one? I don't think so. I think it was one? always a single one okay. and six of them. Yeah. But still, Yeah, and then I won, the, I won that. And I lost to the land and leader quotes of it in the semifinals. But six match points against Lisa Raymond. That's my best ever comeback. Sorry, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I rubbed that in so many times. Uh, so I finished my list. Oh, that's great. Well, listen, everybody, we are in the closet, as I said, here in Brooklyn. We um, intend on trying to do as many of these as we can um, for you guys. We do really appreciate you uh, listening to us and supporting us. And uh, Indian Wells is coming up. Um, obviously, the, the tournament still hasn't finished in Dubai. Uh, Iga Shiontek looking very good there very again. Good, and yeah. now with uh, Coco out and obviously Rabakina out and Sabalenka out, you mm. can't imagine that not Iga Shiontek's not going to hold up that trophy. But we'll see. Uh, the men's still are, tennis. There's still tennis, and that's why we play. And obviously, the guys are playing as well in the Middle East. So we look forward to Indian Wells, Miami, and all the big tournaments. You're going to hit Petco and Tennis Channel. Um, and me, you're just going to... 
hear me here on the pod, <laughs> hopefully with Petco as much and as many times as possible. We're going to try and do as many as we can for you guys coming up through the year. All right, guys, thanks for joining us again. Petco, what do we say now we're in, in uh, Brooklyn? We do we see. still say cheers? cheers. <laughs> no, we got to do that together. Ready? Okay. One, two, three. Cheers. Thanks, Jessica. Dr. Jessica. Danke.